So good to, uh, to see and hear from uh, James and Angela again this morning. Good morning, church. Happy to be with you as well. And I just want to follow up that, um, that announcement by, uh, by expressing our, uh, our, our, our thankfulness for this time that we've shared with the Knights and uh, uh, just the opportunity we've had to grow in relationship. Uh, we've really enjoyed them. And we're excited about this next phase in your life. We know that God has opened this door for you. And, uh, and so as you head to Crescent City, I'm confident that he has purpose and plan for you there. And of course, we'll miss you. We'll miss you greatly. And uh, God willing, in three or four years when you return to Roseville, we would love to reconnect. And then again, just for those in the church, any and all who are able and willing to help during this time, I know that they could use it. Uh, and so just encourage you to respond. You can uh, find their contact information uh, in the directory, or you can contact the church, and we can give that to you. So you can just speak directly to James and Angela and organize and schedule a time to, uh, to meet with them. Uh, I'm glad to be with you this morning, church. Uh, excited for our time in the scripture today. And so if you'll please uh, take your Bible and meet me in Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. I want to I talk with you today about what drives and motivates you, uh, what defines you, uh, and what purpose you're living for. We come to the 28th and final chapter in the book of Acts to find the Apostle Paul has finally arrived in Rome. Now this has been his desire for many years and for many chapters now we've followed his course from one, uh, one missions trip to another, uh, one court proceeding to another, one port to another across land and sea. Paul at last arrived uh, at the epicenter of the Roman Empire, the very heart of the known world at that time. So if you ever experienced that deep sense of arrival and fulfillment after many long and perhaps difficult years of waiting and striving, then, then you have some idea of what, the, of what Paul may have been thinking and feeling uh, in this chapter. And maybe, in all honesty, maybe you're thinking and feeling that even today as we come to the end of our study of Acts, a study that began two and a half years ago and, and nearly 50 sermons ago. So maybe you're like, finally, finally, your prayers have been like, uh, how long, O oh Lord? It's, it's like uh, I've had kids grow and graduate in the time that it's taken us to get through this book. And so if that's you, I just want to thank you for hanging in there with us. But I do need to let you know we have one more sermon left in Acts. That'll be next week, and then we'll be finished with this book because there is so much for us in this book and so much for us in this chapter. As we come to the, to, the, to, to the end of this season in Paul's life, I really want to zero in on what made him tick. And this chapter again reveals Paul's purpose in, in crystal clear fashion and, and it also reveals ours. Like us, Paul lived in the intersection of the kingdoms of earth and heaven. And like him, I think our, our ambitions are revealed uh, in the one we prioritize and proclaim. 
And so I want to pray for us this morning, and then I want to read the whole of the chapter. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the time we have today in, uh, in the scriptures. We believe this is your word for us today. We trust, therefore, that you have something to say to us today, and we'd ask for ears to hear your voice. As we open our Bible, would you open us to its truth and impress that truth upon us and upon our lives in very personal and practical ways so that we may, that we may leave from our time this morning knowing that we have met with God and that we are changed as a result. So carry us along Speak to us and help us in every way. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Acts chapter 28. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the native people saw the creature dangling from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, though he has escaped from the sea. Justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting uh, waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead, but when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Puteoli. And there we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of, of Appius and three taverns to meet us. And on seeing us, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and 
and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you, but we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing amongst themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart in turn. And I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Amen. So shipwrecked on the island of Malta, Paul and all who survived that ordeal as we considered last week, all 276 persons who made the voyage across the stormy seas were welcomed by the Maltese people. Luke notes they received an unusually kind welcome, which I'm sure was reciprocated with sincere gratitude. Though rainy and cold, the the newly kindled fire provided much needed warmth as the men, soaked to the bone, began to thaw and return to some semblance of of normalcy. Paul was gathering wood for the fire when a viper suddenly came out from the sticks and latched onto his hand. Now let's pause there for just a second. At this point, I would be totally undone. I'm not a snake guy, don't like snakes, never have, never will. Uh, even last week we found about a 18-inch garter snake in our backyard, totally harmless, and yet I kept a safe distance. I called the kids out, of course. I called the kids out to see the snake, and I urged them to move closer, but they didn't. And so we just stared at it until eventually it slithered its way under the fence and into the neighbor's yard. But were I in Paul's shoes, this would not have been my best moment with a viper dangling from my hand. And you can't help but wonder what was going through his mind. He'd already endured so much. Riots, beatings, false accusations, near-death experiences, conspiracies and plots against him, unjust imprisonment, typhoons, shipwrecks, and now, just for good measure, and now a life-threatening snake bite as that snake dangles from his hand. Are you serious? Like how many of us would take that in stride? Be honest. Most of us, most of us would be done at this point. I'm out. 
And we'd crawl into fetal position and we'd just give up. So I just want to restate the obvious, something we've seen time and time again throughout this, this uh, story of Acts. The Christian life is not easy because life itself isn't easy. Being in God's will doesn't mean no hardship. Unlike those who spout a prosperity gospel and all that nonsense garbage that comes with it, the true Christian gospel never promises an easy life, but rather an incredibly fulfilling one as you walk with Jesus through thick and thin. Reminds me of an ad I once saw for the Pony Express. An actual ad printed in a San Francisco newspaper in March of 1860. It read like this, Wanted, young, skinny, wiry fellows, not over 18, must be expert riders, willing to risk death daily, orphans preferred. You see, riding for the Pony Express was a tough job. You were expected to cover 75 to 100 miles a day, riding hard day and night, changing horses every 10 to 15 miles. And other than the mail, you carried very little with you, maybe a revolver or a, a, a knife. And in order to travel light and to maintain speed and mobility during attack, the men wore as little clothing as possible, sometimes even during the fierce winter weather. And yet the Pony Express never suffer, suffered a shortage of riders. I think if Paul could speak to us this morning, I think he'd be very honest with us about the difficulties that come with the Christ-centered life. And he'd be just as enthusiastic. He'd be honest with us, and then he'd be just as enthusiastic about his willingness to do it, his willingness to live it. Just as enthusiastic about his relationship with God and his personal involvement uh, in what God is doing to reach and rescue people through Jesus today. Maltese people, the Maltese people here, they see the snake dangling from Paul's hand and, and they think, they think karma. They think Paul must be a murderer. And though he survived the shipwreck, justice has come full circle and uh, by the way of this deadly viper. But when Paul doesn't die, they jump to the exact opposite extreme. For when he shook the viper into the fire and didn't fall dead, they changed their minds from a murderer to a god. And we know that Paul wasn't a god, but they didn't. Because God's power was so uniquely present in Paul's life, that's the only way they could explain it. The chief man of the island, Publius, he also recognized something in Paul that stood out. Publius' father was sick, so Paul went to him and, and prayed for him and, and laid hands on him and healed him. Now the healing power came from God, of course, but it coursed through Paul unmistakably, and for the next many days or weeks, everyone on the island with disease or sickness went to Paul for healing. Now, we, we got to understand that this is more, this scene here, this is more descriptive than prescriptive, because not everyone who gets prayed for is healed, right? 
not everyone with a disease is cured. Even those who trust and believe God. So this describes a unique time in history when God used, used Paul in unique fashion to reach the Maltese people in a unique way. It was no mistake or coincidence that the ship uh, wrecked upon the shores of Malta. That was God's providence. It was God bringing hope to the people on that island. There was a language barrier to overcome here. The Maltese uh, didn't speak Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic. They had their own native language, which is why they're called natives in this passage. But God cared for them. And so he revealed his love and his power to them, not with words, but with signs and wonders that changed their lives for the better. And I want you to think about that. Could it be that the trials in your life, even severe ones like shipwrecks, are God's way of sending you into the lives of others with a demonstration of his love, a demonstration of his saving power, a demonstration of his willingness to save. And and it's not always, in those moments, it's not always going to be about what you say in those unforeseen moments where, where, where your hardships meet theirs. It's also about what you do. Will they see and experience the presence and power of God in you? And do they see and experience it in you today? For three months, Paul and the others remained on Malta. The people treated them well and honorably. They displayed tremendous hospitality, and when their guests decided it was time to leave, they gave them whatever supplies they needed. Another ship from Alexandria had wintered on the island, and once aboard, the, the crew journeyed north for another couple of weeks, first from Malta to Syracuse, then to Regium, then to Puteoli, and finally they, they came to Rome. But it's interesting how there were already believers, other believers already living in Rome when they arrived. Did you notice that? They were mentioned twice, once in Puteoli and again in Rome, and so clearly God was already working in Italy Paul just joined in what God was already doing. It's another good reminder for us that ministry isn't about bringing God into our plans. It's about joining him and his. Paul had finally arrived at the heart of the empire. And as we would expect, he immediately got to work. And so notice here his method and then his message. When it comes to method, we learn in verses 17 through 22 that that he took the initiative to build relational bridges that invited sincere dialogue over the things of God. First, he took the initiative. Verse 17 says, He called together the local leaders of the Jews. He called them. He reached out to them. He took the first step and made the first move. Paul didn't wait for them to contact 
him. He didn't wait for them to initiate conversation with him. He initiated the contact and conversation. And second, he built relational bridges. He called them brothers, notice, and addressed them like family. And as he recounted the story of his imprisonment, he uses familial terms like our people and, and our fathers. In other words, he's, he's sought common ground. And being Jewish himself, he spoke of the hope of Israel, which referred to the hope of a Messiah sent from God to redeem and, and restore the Jewish people. Now, the, the Jews in Rome, they hadn't received word from those in Jerusalem about Paul, but, but they heard, they had heard about Christians in general and about this ever-growing and expanding group of Christ followers. They called it a sect, notice. We call it the church. And the church at that time, as you can see, was, wasn't highly regarded among Jewish circles. We know that everywhere it is spoken against, they said. But by taking this approach, Paul was inviting sincere dialogue with them. I, I desire to speak to see you and speak with you, he said in verse 20, to which they replied in 22 that they also desired to hear more of his views. If you think about it, Paul's approach with them was much like God's approach with us, isn't it? God takes the initiative with us, though we're the ones who who've turned from him both willfully and in ignorance. God builds the relational bridge. He bridges our way, not the other way around. God invites sincere dialogue with us. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. And so throughout this narrative, Paul's methodology mirrored God's in many ways. And then regarding his message, verse 23 shows that Paul prioritized eternal things. He testified to the kingdom of God, it says, and, and he taught about Jesus. You see, Paul understood there to be essentially two kingdoms in this world. There is the human kingdom and the kingdom of God the earthly kingdoms of this world, and the otherworldly kingdom of heaven. And I have been repeatedly amazed by Paul's discipline in Acts, how he was so laser-focused on the eternal matters of God's kingdom that he seemed to, to never get sidetracked or distracted by the temporal earthly kingdom issues that so easily occupy our attention today. Now, of course, some of these issues are worthy of attention. They're not unimportant, but, but I wonder what Paul would, would think, what he would say to us, what he would think about our almost obsessive focus on temporal, earthly things. What would he think, for example? What would he think about our frequent rants on social media, which sadly are becoming even more frequent these days? What conclusions would he draw about which kingdom you prefer and prioritize? Which kingdom are you proclaiming? You see, the, the word testify here means to assert the truth of something by offering as proof 
your own firsthand and personal experience. In other words, how will the people in our lives uh, experience the kingdom of God uh, if we don't testify it to its reality in the way we live and speak? Paul prioritized one kingdom over another by sharing personal experience, his personal experience in how God had lovingly seized his heart and consumed his life. He testified to God's kingdom and he taught about the king, about Jesus Specifically that Jesus is our hope sent from God. You know, testimony draws upon personal experience. Testimony can be given in almost an instant, in any singular moment, but teaching. Teaching is much more objective. Teaching is about truth that remains true whether you agree with it or not. That's why teaching takes time. Teaching requires investment. Teaching allows room for, for questions and gradual comprehension. And so Paul opened the Jewish scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, and methodically taught how they've been pointing to Jesus all along. The Old Testament law reveals our need for a Savior while the prophets urge repentance and faith in the God who saves all of it anticipates a Messiah who was to come and who indeed has come in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, the saving promises of God are perfectly fulfilled. In Jesus, God's saving purposes are brought into clearer view. Now listen carefully. We can all agree, can't we? We can all agree that something's off with the world. And in moments of, of honesty, we can also agree that something's off in us. We understand almost instinctively that we are broken people living in a broken world. So again, in our most honest moments, we instinctively realize that salvation must come from something outside of ourselves. The, the human condition requires divine intervention, which is why God has directed our attention to the heaven-sent Savior from the very beginning. Do you know God's saving promises? His saving purposes? Do you know this hope of a heaven-sent Savior? Your personal testimony is about your personal experience, but how can you testify to the kingdom of God if you know not the king. And that's where verses 24 through 28 come in. Some were convinced by what Paul said. Others disbelieved and remained unwilling to face the facts. As Paul taught and testified from morning till evening, the hearts of some were softened to the truth of Christ, while others grew hard of heart instead. And the hardness of heart demonstrated by some in this passage serves to warn us to not be just as stubborn, 
Don't be like the person who hears the truth, yet refuses to accept it. You see, the truth wants to set you free. It wants to set you free from your bondage to sin and the sin nature within. It wants to free you from that which chains you to an earthly kingdom only. It wants to welcome you into an eternal kingdom where the freedom to be the person you were made to be exists in full measure. If you would just stop running from God, if you would stop avoiding God, if you would stop ignoring God and just turn from going your way to going God's way instead and believe and follow Jesus Christ whom God has sent in love, you will be saved. The problem with so many of us today is that we're like the people described here. The people who refuse to see and hear because they, they, they choose to not see and hear. That's why Paul quotes the prophet Isaiah. That's what Isaiah told his generation, and I'm sure you know people like this too. Maybe you are someone like this. People who choose to remain in the wrong simply because they're unwilling to change. It will mean letting go of your idols. In the Jews' case here, their idol was self-righteousness, the assumption they had it all figured out. Their idol was their own Jewish heritage and background. They assumed they were a step ahead of everyone else, closer to God than everyone else, favored by God just a little bit more than everyone else, and so steeped in their ways, they refused to see and hear what was made so plain that they needed Jesus too. And when Paul told them how God's gift of salvation is extended not to the Jews only, but to all, that was all they could take. They wouldn't accept the fact that the hope of Israel had in Jesus Christ become the hope of the entire world even today. And so we come to the conclusion of the book of Acts and specifically to the end of this record of Paul's ministry which is perfectly summarized in the final two verses. It says he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul's driving purpose in life was proclaiming God's kingdom and teaching about Jesus. That's it. It had been his purpose throughout and it remains so here and though he couldn't leave his home under the terms of his house arrest, he nonetheless opened his home and continued the work. Paul was doing church at home. 
Now, I know we're all longing for the day when we can come back together, we can uh, meet in person again in one central location. But listen, church, God has purpose for us, for our church, even today in these unprecedented circumstances. Ministry shouldn't stop just because the situation isn't ideal or or, or convenient, if Paul could adjust and adapt, so can we. And we are. Paul was an emissary, a messenger, a representative, an ambassador sent on diplomatic mission. Though he himself was hindered, he was incarcerated after all. The gospel wasn't. By speaking and living the gospel boldly, Paul, in fact, conquered the mighty Roman Empire, not with military force, but in the power of the Spirit of God. For whereas the kingdoms of this world rise and fall, the kingdom of Christ endures forever. And so I want to come back now to what I said at the beginning, that, that question I asked about what drives and defines you. What makes you tick? And as you think through that, I think you only need to consider two things, two very straightforward questions. First, which kingdom do you prefer and proclaim? Now be honest. Are you about the kingdoms of this earth or about the kingdom of God? And then second, whose lordship are you under? And what I mean by that is what influence or authority dictates how you live. You, yours? Your authority? You don't answer to anyone else? Your friends? What they think is acceptable? What, what brings popularity with the crowd? Your family? Your heritage? Your background? Your favorite celebrity, maybe? You're an athlete or a, a movie star or musician? Your politics and party allegiance? What influence or authority dictates how you live today? In other words, from whom do you receive your marching orders? Is it any of these things or something else? Or do you yield to the Lordship of Jesus and allow him to lead and transform your life. It's not enough. It's not enough to believe that Jesus is Lord in some general way. That's why whenever I, whenever I baptize someone, I ask the person, is it your belief that Jesus Christ is, is not only the Lord and Savior, but he is your Lord and Savior. And that's essentially what I'm asking you today. Listen, God has purposed you. 
He has purposed you. You are not a mistake. You are not an accident. You are not insignificant. And He has purpose for you. And your purpose will come into all satisfying fullness when you step into His. Like us, Paul lived at this intersection of the kingdoms of earth and heaven, and like him, we will find our greatest, most purpose-filled life as we live in Christ, in the kingdom of God, to the glory of God. May God help us do just that. Amen. Well, Lord, what what to pray, what to say in moments like these other than thank you. Thank you for amazing love that would look upon us in in our desperate and broken state and reach out to us and initiate relationship with us and bring us into, uh, bring us out from this kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So we thank you just for this uh, enormous kindness you've shown us and we pray that you would help us to be people of the kingdom, the kingdom of God. Even as we live here in this earthly Existence. We, we, we want to be people whose minds and hearts are set on the city whose foundations cannot be shaken. Thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul who, who shows us time and time again what really matters. And I pray that you would help us to learn from that example and become people who are about the kingdom, proclaiming the kingdom and teaching about Jesus. And so, I also want to pray for those who are maybe hearing these, this message today and hearing this call to repentance and faith. And I just pray, God, that you'd give them the courage and strength to, in fact, turn from their own way and return to you. And thank you for your amazing grace upon them and upon us all. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.